Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Once again, good morning on this Sunday of Epiphany, when we remember and celebrate that the light that has come from God has gone into the whole world. It has shined on all people. My prayer for you is that early in this new year, you have already had an opportunity to experience God's light, that it's shined in dark places and you felt the presence of God, maybe even through some difficult times. Even though Christmas is over, and as I I said, we're about to uh, undecorate this space, we continue to celebrate the message of Christmas that God, Emmanuel, is with us. Would you pray with me again? God, we thank you that you are here with us this morning, that you are always faithful to be with us, and that in your love for us, you always stand for us. God, I pray that your light would penetrate our hearts and minds today, reveal to us what you would have us see, and lead us to the responses that you call us to. Guide our steps, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, last year we started off, or excuse me, last week we kicked off the year by um, looking at someone in the Bible who recognized that God had indeed come, that Emmanuel, God with us, had arrived, that the promised Messiah had arrived in flesh and blood. We looked last week at the story of Simeon, this man who encountered Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus as his parents took him into the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. Simeon took sight of Jesus, and along with taking in that image, that sight of him, he also allowed the fulfillment of God's promises to wash over him. We saw that Simeon recognized that God's personal promise to him had been fulfilled. God had promised Simeon, you will not die until you see the Messiah with your own eyes. And then Simeon also recognized that God's promise to the whole nation of Israel was in this infant fulfilled. A king in the line of David had been born. And then Simeon also recognized that God's promise to the whole world was being fulfilled in this moment. That Jews and Gentiles alike would be blessed by the coming of this child. Simeon stopped in his tracks that day and took Jesus in. He took in the message of Christmas, that God himself had come to be with us, that God stood for us. And Simeon allowed that truth to saturate his heart, to transform his life. And this morning we heard read the story of some others who took a look at Jesus and recognized the fulfillment of promises. They recognized that so much more than a simple toddler was in front of them. We heard from the Gospel of Matthew the account of these wise men who traveled from the east, who followed a star and came to the place where Jesus was living with his parents in Bethlehem. Matthew tells us that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. 
He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them went, they followed until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, we don't know exactly how much or how little these, these magi, these wise men, understood about Jesus, understood about the implications of his birth. We're not told much about exactly why they came. But they are the first ones recorded in the Bible to have called Jesus the king of the Jews. They knew this was a child who somehow would transform history. They would change the course of the world and that that this child was worthy of, of valuable, even extravagant gifts. They believed he was worth what had been a long and I'm sure arduous journey from their home country. And perhaps most tellingly, they demonstrated with their actions that this child was worthy of worship. And like Simeon, these magi were, were apparently completely content with just looking at Jesus and finding their hopes fulfilled. They took one look at him and saw everything they needed to see. And after their visit to the Holy Family, they went back to their country not reporting back to Herod as he had asked them because God warned them to go a different way. And the way Matthew presents this somewhat mysterious visit to us, it's clear that he intends to point back to some prophecies from Scripture, to point to this episode as a fulfillment of both a psalm and the passage from Isaiah that we heard read. Psalm 72 includes these lines. May the kings of Tarshish and of different distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all the nations serve him. Now, sometimes we sing the carol, We Three Kings. Actually, we're going to sing it today. But there's nothing in scripture that would indicate uh, that these travelers were, were royalty. It seems that they were scholars who, who studied the stars. We might think of them as astrologers or sages. And there are three different gifts that are named, but we don't know the number of travelers. Uh, but I understand how if someone wrote a caroler called We Wise Stargazers of Undetermined Number, um, <laughs> I could see how that wouldn't quite fly. So I, I get it, why we sing We Three Kings. We saw in Isaiah 60 that the prophet said that herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. So Matthew is intentional to, to identify these gifts that are given by these visitors. He wants to demonstrate that, that they were costly, that they were acts of worship, but he's intentional to point to those very gifts as fulfillment of prophetic scripture. And regardless of exactly what these travelers understood about Jesus, it's clear from their actions that they acknowledged this was God's anointed, that this was someone special, 
This was the king of the Jews, and this was someone worthy of worship and sacrifice and reverence. We've seen over the season of Advent and Christmas that the Gospels provide us with with episode after episode of people encountering Jesus and believing that they've seen something not just special, but actually unique. They've seen something, they've, they've seen someone of earth-shaking importance. And so this morning, I want us to look at just one more episode of an encounter like this. Last week, we saw Simeon in the temple, and Luke goes on to explain that there was someone else in the temple that day as well. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Some translations say 84 more years. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to Jesus and his parents at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Now we're told that these two people in the temple that day were were advanced in years. Simeon was likely pretty old. We know that Anna was at least 84. These were people who had been in the habit who had developed habits over a lifetime of staying faithful, staying tuned in to the things of God. Anna had spent a lot of time in the temple. We're told she frequented the temple courts, and it's possible she actually lived in an apartment that would have been built into the temple walls. So she was often seen there. She was a fixture. But that day, she saw something. She saw someone she had never seen before. And like Simeon, it was revealed to her by God that this was none other than the Messiah himself, the Savior of God's people. And we're told that as soon as she saw Jesus, she swept up to the parents and gave thanks to God. And the Greek word here that's translated as gave thanks is a, actually an unusual word. It's a word that, actually, that, that also turns up in Greek translations of Psalm 79. And in Psalm 79, we hear that God's people are praising God, giving God thanks for paying back God's, for paying back to uh, the people's enemies, God's vengeance. And so this giving of thanks isn't, isn't really the giddy joy of someone opening a, opening a Christmas present. I think we can think of this as the, the deep gratitude of someone who realizes their life has been spared They've been rescued from the jaws of calamity and death. This is profound thanksgiving. That day, Anna spies this little baby there in the temple and somehow sees in him a powerful rescuer, a life-saving deliverer, a redeemer. And so she went on to talk about the child to anyone around her who would listen, to those who, like her, were awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem, were hanging on to a moment of salvation, longing for relief and release from the threat of death. 
Out of the four Gospels, it's, uh, it's the accounts of Matthew and Luke that provide us accounts of the birth of Jesus. And in them, we see portrayed an array of characters who somehow, in some way, interact with Jesus, either as an infant or as a young child. And everyone who's named or otherwise featured in these accounts, we see had some sort of response. They didn't simply look at Jesus and then move on without reacting or pausing, responding in some way. We see people reflecting. We see people stopped in their tracks. We see people pausing to take in what it was that they were encountering. They took Jesus in, and then we see that something came out of them. There was some response. Mary heard from the angel Gabriel this unbelievable piece of news that she would somehow give birth to the Son of God himself. And she responded. She responded with faith, with humility, with resolve, and with surrender. We know that Joseph's world was rocked by news of Mary's pregnancy by the arrival of this baby boy, and he responded by taking God at his word and by doing what God said was the right thing to do, even though that was uncomfortable for Joseph and put him in a very vulnerable spot. The shepherds heard tidings of great joy, we're told, out when they were out in their fields, An angel told them news, and they responded by going to Bethlehem to see these things that the angel had told them about, and then by sharing with anyone who would listen the things that they had been told. The Magi from the east saw the star and responded by undertaking a very difficult journey. They saw the child and responded by opening their treasure chests and offering him gifts and worshiping him and declaring him a king. And then finally, we've seen these two characters in the temple, Anna and Simeon, who embody the hopes, the deepest longings of all of God's people who are waiting for the Messiah. We're told that they're waiting for consolation, for redemption, for rescue, for relief. They were on the lookout for the Messiah, the Savior, this one coming in the line of David to take his throne. And upon catching sight of the child, Simeon's response was to break out into a psalm of praise to God, to bless his parents, and to celebrate. And we can easily picture the joy and delight on Anna's face, I'm sure, as we we can imagine the, the unburdening of her soul as she realizes that her rescue, her redemption is at hand. We can hear her as she pours out thanks to God, as she shares eagerly about this child, anyone who had been longing for deliverance, for redemption. Now, I'm sure that there were people we don't hear about in these stories. I'm sure there were plenty of people who really took no notice of this infant as his parents brought him out of this makeshift manger nursery. People who didn't give a second thought to this young family who was trying to find temporary housing in Bethlehem shortly after Jesus' birth. I imagine there were those who wagged their heads at what sounded like crazy stories coming from the mouths of these rough-and-tumble shepherds that day. And perhaps the caravan of magi from the east saw at least some people turn away 
with thinly veiled disgust at these, these foreigners, these outsiders who'd come into town for who knows what purpose. I'm sure there are plenty of people who took no notice at all of the baby, the child, this family in Bethlehem. Luke tells us that they were there for about two years before they moved back to Nazareth, where Jesus grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and with the grace of God upon him. I'm sure there were plenty of people who took no notice at all. But the ones who saw him and responded are the ones that we read about. And so this morning, I want us to consider what, what is our response to what we see, to what we have seen about Jesus. As we encounter this child, what do we do? What do we say? Last week, I encouraged for us to, to pause, to pause and to really take in this, this child, this new, the news of this birth take in the truths of Jesus and let them sink into the deepest places of who we are in our souls. And I think that's something we should do often, actually. We can think of that as, as an act of inhaling, to pause, to take in the truth of Jesus Christ. But then what comes out of us? What, what is our exhale? What are our words? What are our actions of response? What is exhaled from our lives? If our time of reflecting on Jesus, of taking Jesus in, leaves us feeling that, that, yes, our deepest hopes, our deepest needs are actually met in this gift from God, then how do we respond? What's the exhalation of our soul? Or maybe as we take Jesus in, we recognize that we're not sure exactly what needs he meets and what's still might remain unmet. Maybe we're not quite sure the connection between this, the coming of this child and the deepest need and meaning of our lives. And so then how do we respond then? Where is there uncertainty that we recognize? And how do we respond? What might we do in this new year to, to try to get some answers, try to seek some clarity, or just to spend time with this child and see what happens. And to the extent that we find ourselves resonating with, with Mary and with Joseph, with Simeon and with Anna, speaking along with the shepherds and the magi words of truth about this child, to the, to the extent we find that we share with them that here wrapped up in this child is the answer to humanity's deepest needs and longings that the love of God, that evidence of God's desire to be with and for the people he created. If we believe with these witnesses of scripture that, that wrapped up in this child is proof of God's love, then how do we respond? How can our lives reflect that belief? How can our actions demonstrate that belief more fully and more faithfully? How can we find that our words maybe more often sound a bit more like the words of Mary and Anna and Simeon? Not that we want to copy them, but what would those kinds of feelings sound like coming from our hearts? What would those kinds of actions look like coming from our lives? 
How can we in this new year be more likely to be heard praising and thanking God and living lives that demonstrate that we truly believe God is faithful, that God has come to be with us? How can we point to the child, Jesus? I invite you to take a moment to reflect and consider how, how you're breathing in and breathing out this year might more intentionally look like taking in the truth of Jesus and then breathing out that same truth to people around us, to those who haven't yet been transformed by that very good news. And as we pray this morning, I'll uh, open up some time of silent prayer and then close us together. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for moments of stillness to, to breathe in, to allow the truth of Jesus to, to sink deeply into our hearts, to ask for the gift of deeper belief and trust. God, we thank you for the love that you have shown us through your son, Jesus. And Jesus, we recognize, we pause to, to acknowledge again that you are a lot to take in. We recognize, too, that there's so much that we could be letting out, be exhaling about you. As we think about sharing with those around us good news that might actually transform their lives. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would continue to transform our own lives from the inside out. Keep working at us. I pray that the truth, the implications of Messiah, God come to be with us and for us, would take deeper and deeper root in our souls. I pray that in this new year ahead, our words and our actions would be more richly seasoned with that good and wonderful and beautiful news. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.